History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Jordan. Welcome to episode 43. Mm-hmm. Part two part of Dukes. the Yorkshire Ripper. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Just like them. Just like them. <laughs> uh, so we talked about last episode, some of the people that were attacked, mm. things that got that we got going on. Yes. This episode's gonna start in 1981. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about kind of the end. The back half. The back half. The back nine. Yes. Not good stuff for the police department Mm -mm. coming up. Uh, Sexism in the UK and really all over the world. I feel like it's not just in the UK. In the 80s. It's everywhere. Uh, Before we get into it, how many downloads do we have? 20,698. We have wanted to get to 20,000 for almost a year mm-hmm. since we started this thing. Yeah. And we made it, folks. We made it. So thank you all for listening to our shenanigans, mm-hmm. commenting, liking, sharing, the all the love on Instagram. We've been getting a lot of comments. The Cecil Hotel post that we had got like 400 likes, so that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that George can talk more about because I'm old as but this Discord, we got a Discord app. Yeah. So tell me what's going on with this. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I know people can talk to each other. And we've, we were talking about earlier having like a Facebook group where everybody, like our listeners can talk to each other. But I figured this would be easier. It's yeah. like it's, it's kind of separate. It's its own thing. It's like an app. So yeah, if we are going to post something about it, which will have information on it. So I'm not sure if you can just, I'm, I'm brand new to the Discord thing. So I don't know if you can just search. But we're under Mystery History Podcast, so if you can search, just search that. And then, uh, yeah, we'll add you to our, we have a community group. Yep. So, yeah, we can talk about anything, Anything. episodes, Mm -hmm. anything like that. Well, and uh, I know that, Jordan, you sent out a bunch of links to some of our people that message us regularly. Yeah. uh, With a link there. That's not spam. It's real. Yeah. We're not trying to hook you. Well, I put a, like a poll out. And anybody uh-huh. that answered yes on the poll, uh-huh. I sent the link to them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. So I think that there's like an invite link, but I'm not sure if you have to have the invite link to join or if you can just search it and just like request I don't to think join. so because I did it. You searched it. Because unbeknownst to me, this was happening. Yeah. And then I was like, what is this? And then I just, you didn't send me a link to it, but I didn't know how to log into our account. So I just created one for myself mm-hmm. and I didn't need. You just found it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I so didn't just, need anything for just it. Just search, so. search this then. Yep. And we'll add you. Yeah, so I think this will be a lot more streamlined than Instagram, you know, messages, and plus you guys can all talk to each other, mm-hmm. so I think that's pretty cool, yeah, and I'm that's excited. What, that's what we're most excited about, is having a community, more yep. than just us talking to people, everybody can talk to each other. Yeah, heck yeah. So it's pretty cool. All right. Well, do you have anything else business-wise, or shall we just dig right into 1981? Uh, we'll talk about the website. You guys oh, probably yeah. know about it, but com. We got merch, all our episodes. Um all kinds of good stuff up there. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you can find our Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast. You get, we have two tiers. Tier one is $2 a month. You get every episode a week early, and then you get a 10% discount to the, our store. 
And then the tier two is $5 a month. You get a 20% discount to the store every episode a week early, and then a bonus episode every Friday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty good deal. Yeah. So join our, be a historian. Yes. Be a part of our family. Yeah, get in there. Get in there. And the thing, too, is about, um, we have, so we've posted 20 bonus episodes. We're about to, this will be the 21st we post this week. So if you join today, you get access to all of those. That's a lot. So you get 20 episodes just like that. And they're about just, mm, 20 to 30 to 45 minutes a piece, just yeah. kind of depending on what our topic is and how yeah. off the rails we go, like we tend to do sometimes. Yeah. We, um, uh, so that's pretty, that's a lot of content. Yeah, it's a lot. There's hours on there. Mm-hmm. But uh, we kind of talk more. That's kind of more loose. It's not as rigid, drilled to the the uh, events. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of, we just kind of just... Uh, talk about shit so yeah if you like our banter get in there there's yeah. a lot of that going on so, so we got uh speaking of off the rails we got a, a comment <laughs> on one of our instagrams whenever we got a lot of five-star reviews and we were reading them that they were mad because it was 13 minutes in and we still haven't talked about anything related <laughs> to the topic and that they were all public knowledge, and thanks for letting her know. Well, you're welcome. Yeah. Number one. Number two, we get excited whenever you guys give us a five-star review and make a comment. Like, it really makes our life. Yeah, we don't expect you guys to go to our freaking iTunes page every day and be like, yeah. oh, they got another one. Right. Because, no, it's not. But it's it's a uh, thank you to the person who made the comment. Yeah, it's like a shout in, out. Yeah, yeah, a shout out on the, on the air. And uh, so we're not going to stop that. So if you don't like it, there's a handy dandy fast forward button. You can dying when you said You that. can zip through all this crap if you want and just get to the topic. Um, because for, <laughs> and the thing that kind of angered me a little bit is that a lot of other podcasts, and we might eventually, whenever we get way big, do this, but we get all of our crap out in the beginning. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, there's they stop and take a break and then you get an ad or whatever. Mm-hmm. We don't have any of that. We just right. get it all out of the way in the beginning. If you don't like it, zip on through mm-hmm. and, you know, 10 minutes or so, you'll probably be safe. Right. We're at six minutes mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to say that. We, you know, we are all about you guys and too. She, yeah. They uh, posted, they're like, we, I don't have time to listen to that. Yeah. Then don't listen. It's I not. mean, the fast forward button is 2021. You well, know, yeah. technology. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's there for you. It's crazy what things can do now. Yeah. But so, yeah, if you um, don't want to listen, don't listen. Easy as that. If is. you like listening, listen. If you don't, don't. Yep. No big deal. Easy as that. I don't, it doesn't matter. I, but I, I do think that it's funny because the person said that they really wanted to like our stuff because of our topics. But they couldn't get past 13 minutes. Well, you're probably not going to last much longer anyway because we go on tangents all the time. <laughs> yep. And this is, I mean, I don't we know. We also apologize for all the free content we're giving you. Yeah, so that sorry we, yeah. that you don't Our like. Bad. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I just, George's more of just like a push it to the side type person, but I like to hit you head on with it. Yeah, before I even saw it, they posted it, and Allison commented back, just fast forward, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> I was dying laughing. Well, she I got mean, a point. What do you want from <laughs> us, you know? But uh, but we do appreciate you guys. This is not perfect. We will never be perfect. This is who we are. This is no, the show yeah. that we're providing. If you don't like it, just it took her longer to probably comment than it did just to fast forward. Or to just Not say nothing the, yeah. and be done. And yeah, she said there's of plenty effort. of other 
other podcasts. And there are. There's some that straight facts and Mm -hmm. nothing. They don't say anything other than just facts, facts, facts. Not us. And that's not who we're going to be. That's what we've heard from a lot of people, though. They like that about us. Like Some we, people, we talk. We're real. We're not like trying to be professional sounding. Yeah. Well, we some just, people are very much like they just they don't want to hear the fluff. They just want the right. facts. And and then some people like it. So it's just kind of what your cup of tea is. There's some podcasts I listen to that's straight facts, and then other ones that are more about the 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 hosts themselves and yeah, what they well, got going what, on in their life and and that's the personal connection that I I personally enjoy. That's what, yeah me too. It's what um, makes the show. It means yeah. makes it different. So so whatever. I'm just I just had to say it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So a Are lot you, of people probably just fast forwarded through that, but here we are. They pro- yeah. Hey, and thank you for just doing that. But <laughs> not being a grouch. Yeah. Okay. All right, so let's just back up real quick. So we're going to talk about 1981. Before that, in our last episode, we left with November 25th, and Trevor Birdsall, he was in the car the first night of the attack. He told the police that he suspected him to be the Ripper. Mm. Okay? But because the police department was so awesome... Somehow his report got lost in a bunch of papers. Yeah. So this is kind of the first, ooh, you could have done better probably. All right. So take us away to 1981. So on January 2nd, Peter was stopped by the police with a 24-year-old prostitute, Olivia Reavers, uh, in the driveway of the Lights Trade House in Melbourne Avenue. A police check by probationary constable Robert Hydes revealed Peter's car had fake plates and was arrested and transferred to Dewsbury Police Station. Hmm. That's a real James Bond move, the fake plates. Fake, fake. Or it's even cooler whenever, like, you don't even need to touch them. It's just, like, Yeah, that's a James Bond. You hit a button and it yeah. flips. Yeah, I like that. That's some cool shit. <laughs> <laughs> At Dewsbury, um, he, Peter was questioned in relation to the... Yorkshire Ripper case, and he matched a lot of the physical characteristics. The next day, the police returned to the scene of the arrest and discovered a knife, a hammer, and rope he had discarded when he briefly slipped away from the police, telling him he they he was bursting with pee. Hmm. It was that'll do it. Police don't want to get peed on. No, I hear that that's an excuse a lot. And have you ever like had to poop, and you're like, I'm going eighty and a twenty five because I got to get home. No. No? <laughs> no. Never? Uh-uh. Whoa. Fun that. fact for the people, I've never been pulled over. Really? No. Knock on all the wood because that's it's bad. Been, uh, bad 11 mojo. years of driving, never been pulled over. Should we tell a story about when I got pulled over? Oh, and I almost died. Yeah. So I was, uh, Allie was 16, I was 9. She's 7 years older than me. Yeah. So we went to <laughs> O'Charlie's, and because we had all the kids, I, I, have, I have Jordan as a brother, and then I have a stepbrother and a stepsister, and we were all driving. So I took the kids. My mom and or my dad and stepmom were in another car. So I'm like, I'm gonna beat them home. And I go past in a neighborhood and cut across a, a, a side street. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going 45 and a 25. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's the police lights. Mm-hmm. I've never been pulled over. I'm 16. Jordan's in the back heaving like who who because 
he thinks that my parents are going to kill me if I get a ticket. Because <laughs> it was in our dad's car. Yeah. You didn't have a license. I had a license, but, but it wasn't with, with me. Not with you. And then we looked for the insurance, and it was expired. Yeah. And my nine-year-old brain, she's going to jail. I'm dead. I was like, she's not going to live. <laughs> so the cop comes to the window, and I'm freaking out. Yeah. Very polite. Yes, sir. What? What's wrong? <laughs> uh, you were speeding. So then another car, another cop car came in and pulled behind us. Yeah, then it might, and I was like, oh, my God. I was like, for sure, she's dead. We're dead. Yeah. So then Jordan still heaving in the back seat. <laughs> And the cop's like, what's going on? I was like, well, we just went to O'Charlie's, and he doesn't feel good. I'm trying to get him home so he, because he's not feeling well. And Jordan's in the back. <laughs> the cop let us go. You're welcome. We kept that secret between the four of us for, I would say, 10 years. Yeah. Hmm. Our parents never knew you that it happened. Still. I do. Yeah. I do still owe you one. You're welcome. <laughs> but anyway. So... That's a little side tangent. Yeah, good times. Yeah, it was so funny. He was so scared. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, anyway. Um, so, he's pee. bursting with pee. <laughs> Back to it. Peter hid a second knife inside the toilet at the police station where he was permitted to use the bathroom again because he was bursting with pee. Hmm. Lots of pee. Police obtained a search warrant for his home in Heaton and brought his wife in for questioning. I bet she was surprised. I bet she was puking, too. Mm-hmm. When Peter was stripped at the police station, he was wearing an inverted V-neck sweater uh, under his pants. How the fuck does that work? It's very technical. An inverted V-neck sweater under his pants. So, yeah. like, long johns, kind of? No, keep re- keep going. The sleeves were pulled over his legs, and the V-neck was exposing his genitals. So he put his legs in the sleeve holes. Yeah, yeah. and just it was nothing. just open. Whoa, bold move. Yeah. The front, uh, the front of the elbows were padded to protect his knees, and he, as he liked to kneel over his victims' uh, corpses. Oh, that's dark. Yeah. The fact was not made. This fact was not made public until 2003. Wow. So they kept that one close to the what chest. What a weird thing. He's like, I got just the thing for this. Yeah, in, he's protecting himself. Weird. I mean, knee pads would also probably have worked. Yeah. Instead of, I don't know. Who, does his wife do the wash? I don't know. Why are you going through all these V-necks, Peter? (laughs) The police interrogated Peter for two days, and on January 4th, 1981, Peter declared he was the Ripper. The next day, he described his attacks. Weeks later, he claimed God had told him to murder the women. That's a, you know, safe bet Mm. there. The women I killed were filth, he told police. Bastard prostitutes who were littering the streets. I was just cleaning up the place a bit. But I feel like if that's true, then you wouldn't, like, try to sexually assault them. Yeah, you wouldn't be wearing V-necks like a freaking psychopath. Yeah, not good. (laughs) Peter displayed regret only when talking about his youngest victim, Jane McDonald. And when he was questioned for killing Joan Harrison, he declined responsibility. In 2011, with DNA evidence, it was confirmed that Jane McDonald was killed by a convicted sex offender, Christopher Smith, who died in 2008. So at least he wasn't lying about that, I guess. Yeah, he wasn't, wasn't a liar, that guy. No. Did a lot of bad things, but murder. didn't lie. <laughs> January 5th, Peter was charged and pleaded not guilty to 13 murder charges, but guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility, which basically means he was suffering from some sort of mental illness, hmm. which, I mean, duh. You have to have something wrong with you to justify this. Stuff. But they always say that. 
Sure they do. Any murders, like I was insane. Because they don't want to go to jail, they go to a mental hospital. Right. I mean, but something, in every case, something's got to be wrong with you. Not saying that you weren't premeditated and knew what you were doing the whole time. But something's not clicking. No. Um, So... He, for his defense, he claimed to be the tool of God's will. Mm. Peter said he heard dark, or I'm sorry, that he heard voices that ordered him to kill prostitutes while working as a grave digger. And it originated from the headstone of a Polish man, Bronislaw Zabowski, and that the voices were that of God. Good pronunciation. Thanks. Nailed I've it. been practicing. Night, <laughs> it shows. Mm. Peter pleaded guilty to seven charges of attempted murder. The prosecution intended to accept Peter's plea after four psychiatrists diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia. But the trial judge, Justice Sir Leslie Borum, that's a lot of titles again, that, Just, yep. Justice Sir, uh, demanded as unusually detailed, or yeah, as unusually detailed explanation of the prosecution reasoning. After a two-hour representation by Attorney General Sir Michael Havers, a 90-minute lunch break, and 40 minutes of legal discussion, the judge rejected and dismissed uh, diminished responsibility plea and the expert testimonies of the psychiatrics insisting the case should be death with or death by jury. The Dealt tri- with by jury. Sorry. Reading's tough. It's tough. Mm-hmm. Dealt with by jury. The trial date was set for May 5th, 1981. The trial lasted two weeks, and Peter was found guilty of murders on all counts and was sentenced to 20 concurrent sentences of life in prison. Hmm. That is a lot of time. That's a lot. The jury rejected the evidence of the four psychiatrists that Peter had paranoid schizophrenia, which was possibly influenced by the evidence of a prison officer who heard him say to his wife that he, if he convinced people he was mad, he would get 10 years in the loony bin, which is kind of what you were saying. Right. It's easier to do time in a mental institution. Mm. The trial judge said that Peter was beyond redemption and hoped he would never leave prison. He recommended a a minimum term of 30 years to be served before parole was even considered, which meant he was unlikely to be freed until at least 2011. That's so crazy to, like, be talking about the 80s and then 2011, not that far off. Yeah, that's like somebody right now being like, you're going to jail till 2050. Uh Uh-huh. That's fucking crazy. Yep. On July 16, 2010, the high court issued Peter with a whole life tariff, which means he would never be released. After his trial, Peter admitted to two other attacks. It was decided that the prosecution of these offenses weren't in public interest. The Yorkshire police made it clear the victims wished to be anonymous. And plus, after 20 concurrent, I mean, you're not going to, I mean, he's going to die in prison. But I feel like for those victims, they didn't get the closure maybe that he's serving time for what they did to him. I'm sure they told the families that, but I'm sure they just didn't put it in the press. Yep. Following his conviction, Peter chose to use his last name, Coonan, which was his mother's maiden name. He began his sentence at H.M. Prison Parkhurst on May 22, 1981. Even though he was determined sane, Peter was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and they attempted to send him to a secure psychiatric unit, but it was blocked. While at Parkhurst, he was seriously assaulted by James Costello, who was a 35-year-old career criminal with several other convictions of violence. On January 10th, 1983, he followed Peter to recess and plunged a broken coffee jar twice into the left side of Peter's face, creating four wounds that required 30 stitches. Ugh. That's rough. Fuck. 
In March 1984, Peter was sent to Broadmoor Hospital under Section 47 of the Mental Health Act of 1983. Peter's wife, Sonia, filed separation from him around 1989. Damn. Big, big shocker. I mean, she did last a That while. was a long time. Yeah. They I feel were, like as soon as you learn your husband's a murderer, you're like, all right, let's sign these papers. Right. Let's get this over with. <laughs> But they weren't actually officially divorced until July 1994. Gee, that's, that's a hell of a... That's 13 years after he's convicted of murder. But I don't know if even, like, during... If you're in prison, how fast, like, they let you go through that stuff. Because there's a lot of stuff to be signed, but... Yeah, but still, that's crazy. Yeah. On February 23rd, 1996, he was attacked in his room in Broadmoor's Henley Ward by Paul Wilson... He was, uh, he was a convicted robber who asked to borrow a videotape before attempting to strangle Peter with a cable from a pair of stereo headphones. Hmm. Two other convicted murderers, Kenneth Erksine Erks- and Jamie Devitt, intervened after hearing Peter scream. So he's getting the shit kicked out of him. As he should. I mean, yep. he deserves it. March 10th, 1997, Ian K. attacked him with a pen and Peter lost vision in his left eye, and his right eye was severely damaged. Rough. Kay K admitted to trying to kill Peter and was ordered to be detained in a secure mental hospital without limit of time. In 2003, it was reported that Peter developed diabetes. The diabetes. Peter's father died in 2004 and was cremated, and on January 17, 2005, was allowed to visit Grangeover Sands where the ashes had been scattered. Um... On December 22nd, 2007, Peter was attacked by fellow inmate Patrick Sarita, who lunged at him with a metal knife while shouting, You fucking raping, murdering bastard! Mm. I'll blind your fucking other one! Nice. Peter flung himself backward, and the blade missed his right eye, stabbing him in the cheek. Could you imagine being blind in prison? That would suck. I wonder why they're trying to blind him, though. That's a weird, like, move. Because then they could get him any time. I mean, it's effective, but it's just a weird move to be like, I'm about to go after his eyes. I don't know. That's. I mean, they're I'm, all I've never murderers. Heard of, I'm, yeah, I've never heard of that, though. Like, you hear about people killing each other in prison, but never people blinding each other. That's, I wonder if that's a normal thing. That's weird. I don't know. Also, in 2005 that I wanted to bring up, so remember those, um, those... Uh, the the t- tape and the letters that were sent in to mm-hmm. the police department. So that hoaxer case was reopened in 2005. So they took D- they, finally in 2005 they were able to take DNA samples from the em- envelope and enter them into the national database, and it matched a guy named John Samuel Hubble. He was an unemployed alcoholic and a long term longtime resident of the Ford estate in Sunderland, a few miles from Castletown. Um, his DNA had been taken following a drunk and disorderly offense in 2001. Hmm. So on October 20th, 2005, Hubble was charged with attempting to pervert the curse of justice for sending the hoax letters and tape. He remained in custody, and on March 21st, March 20, or I'm sorry, on the 21st of March, 2006, was convicted, I can't read today, dang, (laughs) was convicted and sentenced to eight years in prison. He then died on July 30th, 2019, at the age of 63. Isn't that some shit to do, like get caught for something you did in the 80s in 2005? Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. That's pretty amazing, though. Why would you, like, and, and I'm glad that they kind of, 
pieced this all together because never really gets talked about much, but obviously it wasn't Peter. Right. But why would you do that? They, why would you do they that? Were, in that documentary, though, they were talking about um, just all, like they were getting thousands of calls a day. Yeah. So, I mean, people just wanted to be a part of it, I think. But that's another level, calling in and being like, I think I might have saw him on the corner. Yeah, yeah, But then writing letters and recording a tape. But, I mean, he said he's a drunk, like, unemployed man, so he just had nothing better to do. Yeah, that's crazy. That's fucking wild, though. They kept the envelope, and they got the DNA off the envelope. Uh That's so, just never commit a crime, because you're going to get caught. Especially with today's day and age. Well, they didn't think of that in the 80s. No, but still, that's crazy. That is. I didn't even, like, saliva lasts for 30 years. That's crazy. That's insane. Yeah. That's nuts. All right. So, on February 17, 2009, it was reported that Peter was fit to leave Broadmoor. On March 23rd, 2010, Secretary of State for Justice, Jack Straw, that sounds like a fake name, (laughs) was questioned by Julie Kirkbride. Conservative MP for Broomsgrove in the House of Commons, seeking reassurance that Peter would remain in prison. Straw responded that Peter's release was now a a parole board matter. Parole board. Parole board. Wow. That's tough reading there. Man, what's wrong with this? Parole board matter, but led her to believe that with all the evidence, he would not be released, which I hope not. Yeah, I feel like they've got plenty. Yeah. And plus, he didn't get tried for those other two, mur- your, um, his other two victims. Uh-huh. So essentially, if that were to happen, yeah, they could the get him. Yep. I think I talked about this before, but they do that a lot with multiple murder cases. Mm-hmm. They Just try him case. for one, and then if they get released, they take him right back. Because you can't do double jeopardy. Yep. So it can't be the same murder. Mm-hmm. But if you murder two people mm-hmm. and he gets released, you can take him back for the other murder and yeah. just send him right back to jail. That would suck. That would suck. Be like, I know I got You'd another You'd have to one. know, though, like, I'm fucked. Yeah. So Just the moral of the story up. is don't murder people. That's a good. That's the best that's way to not rule. be in the situation. That should be like number one rule of the <laughs> rule book. Yeah. Just don't do that. Okay. So July 16, 2010, the high court decided that Peter would never be released. Mr. Justice Mitten stated, this was a campaign of murder which terrorized the population of a large part of Yorkshire for several years. The only explanation for it on the jury's verdict was anger, hatred, and obsession. Apart from a terrorist outrage, it is difficult to conceive of circumstances in which one man could account for so many victims. Because he had a lot of victims. Mm-hmm. So psychological F- reports, I'm sorry, described Peter's mental state was taken into consideration at, was the severity of his crimes. So basically they're saying he was crazy. Yeah. Uh, Peter spent the rest of his life in custody. Peter initiated an appeal against the decision, but the appeal was rejected on January 14, 2011. And on March 9th, 2011, the court rejected his application. Yep. Like, so he's getting nope. rejected all over the place. Yep. He's like, no way, Jose. In December 2015, Sutcliffe was assessed as being no longer mentally ill. In August 2016, a medical tribunal ruled that he no longer required clinical treatment for his mental condition and could be returned to prison. I bet he was pissed about that. <laughs> and I don't know how that just happened. Like, one day it just... He probably flipped. just got, like, comfortable, so he started acting normal again. Uh-huh. And then they're like, oh, you're fine. Sutcliffe was reported to have been transferred from Broadmoor to HM Prison Franklin in Durham, County Durham, in August 2016. In 2017, West Yorkshire Police launched Operation Paint Hall to determine if Sutcliffe was guilty of unsolved crimes dating back to 1964. Mm, I bet. 
This inquiry also looked at the killings of two prostitutes in southern Sweden in 1980. As Sutcliffe was a lorry driver, it was theorized that he had been in Denmark and Sweden making use of the ferry across the Orasund Strait. West Yorkshire police later stated that they were absolutely certain that Sutcliffe had never been in Sweden. Well, I don't really trust them. Yeah. Can I just say that? Fair. At this this point in time. Fair assessment. (laughs) All right. So Sutcliffe died at University Hospital of North Durham when he was 74 after having previously returned to HMP Franklin following treatment for a suspected heart attack at the same hospital two weeks earlier. Sutcliffe had a number of underlying health problems, and a private funeral ceremony was held, and his body was cremated. Hmm. All right. You ready to get into these uh, shenanigans of these police? Yeah. So we're going to talk about the criticism of authorities. So we're going to start with West Yorkshire Police. West Yorkshire Police were criticized for being inadequately prepared for an investigation on this scale. It was one of the first, uh, or one of the largest investigations by a British police force, and predated the use of computers. That would that's that, like hard to imagine. That is, I mean, they they didn't have, but back then, that's what everybody was working with. I right. mean, nobody yeah. had computers. That's just it's hard to imagine after the use of computers. It's hard to imagine not having them. Yeah, information on suspects was stored on handwritten index cards. Aside from difficulties in storing and accessing the paperwork, the floor was of the incident room was reinforced to cope with the weight of the paper. Wow, so there's so much paper in there. That's insane. <laughs> that is. It was difficult for officers to overcome the information overload on such a large manual system. Sutcliffe was interviewed nine times, but all information the police had about the case was stored in paper form, making cross-referencing difficult. Pretty much impossible. Um, compounded by television appeals for information, which generated thousands more documents. Like that's what we were talking about. They probably got so many like false reports. Well, I think we had said what 11,000 or something calls came in. So I, I would get why, but nine times, I mean, there has to be one detective that's been on the case and had interviewed him more than once. Right. I was like, maybe we need to look into this guy a little bit. Yeah. Um, so the 1982 Byford report into the investigation concluded, uh, in quotes, the ineffectiveness of the major incident room was a serious handicap to the Ripper investigation. While it should have been effect, the effective nerve center of the whole police operation, the backlog of unprocessed information resulted in failure to connect vital pieces of related information. This serious fault in the central index system allowed Peter Sutcliffe to continually slip through the net. <clears throat> yeah, and we're going to talk more about the, the Byford report. The choice of Oldfield to lead the inquiry was criticized by Byford, uh, quoting, The temptation to appoint a senior man on age or service grounds should be resisted. What is needed is an officer of sound professional competence who will inspire confidence and loyalty. He found wanting Oldfield's focus on the hoax confessional tape that seemed to indicate a perpetrator with a wearside background and his ignoring advice from survivors of Sudcliffe's attacks and several eminent specialists included from the FBI in the U.S., along with dialect analysts such as Stanley Ellis and Jack Windsor Lewis, whom he had also consulted through the manhunt that Wearside Jack was a hoaxer. So we're talking about the their accents. 
the investigation used it as a point of elimination rather than a line of inquiry and allowed Sutcliffe to avoid scrutiny as he did not fit the profile of the sender of the taper letters. The Wareside Jack hoaxer was given unusual credibility when analysis of saliva on the envelopes he sent showed he had the same blood group as Sutcliffe had left at crime scenes, a type shared by only 6% of the population. The hoaxer appeared to know details of the murder, which had not been released to the press, but which, in fact, he had acquired from his local newspaper and pub gossip. Ooh. Hmm. That's a... That's not good. (laughs) In response to the police station reaction to the murders, the Leeds Revolutionary Feminist Group organized a number of uh, Reclaim the Night marches. The group and other feminists had criticized the police of victim-blaming. Big time. Especially the suggestion that women should remain indoors at night. Eleven marches in various towns across the United Kingdom took place on the night of the 12th of November, 1977. They made the point that women should be able to walk anywhere without restriction and that they should not be blamed for men's violence. Yes, queen. Yes. Because that's a bunch of bullshit. Mm Mm-hmm. In 1988, the mother of Sutcliffe's last victim, Jacqueline Hill, during action for the marches on behalf of her mother's, or her daughter's, I'm sorry, estate, argued in the high court that the police had failed to use reasonable care in apprehending Sutcliffe in Hill v. Chief Constable of West Yorkshire. The House of Lords held that the Chief Constable of West Yorkshire did not owe a duty of care to the victim due to the lack of proximity and therefore failing on the second limb of the Capar- Caparo test. After Sutcliffe's death in November 2020, um, West Yorkshire police issued an apology for the language, tone, and terminology used by the force at that time uh, of the cr- criminal investigation. Yeah, they called it the prostitute squad or something like that. Yeah. That's crazy. It only took them f- almost 40 years to release a statement about no it. No kidding. I that's feel crazy. like that's a little forced. Yeah. All right, so now we're going to talk, we kind of got into it. This is, uh, we're going to talk about the sexist attitude, okay? So West Yorkshire police reflected Sutcliffe's own misogyny and sexist attitude, according to multiple sources. Jim Hobson, a senior West Yorkshire detective, told the press October, or a press conference in October 1979, the perpetrator, in quotes, had made it clear that he hates prostitutes. Many people do. We, as a police force, will continue to arrest prostitutes, but the Ripper is now killing innocent girls. That indicates your mental state and that you are in urgent need of medical attention. You've made your point. Give yourself up before any other innocent woman dies. Damn. That is a foot in the mouth if I've ever heard it. So they didn't care if it was a prostitute. No. But they're like, please stop murdering innocent women. That's fucked. We talked about that earlier on whenever the first innocent innocent air quote woman was murdered then that's when they actually started giving a crap right which is terrible murder yeah. is murder no matter who it is mm-hmm. Ooh. okay so joan smith wrote in misogynies in 1989 and 1993 that even sutcliffe at his trial did not quite go this far he did at least claim he was demented at the time <laughs> so no matter what Murder's murder. It doesn't matter if you're a prostitute or not. Right. So the Attorney General, Sir Michael Havers, QC, at the trial in 1981, said of Sutcliffe's victims in his opening statement, some were prostitutes, but perhaps the saddest part of the case is that some were not. (laughs) Oh, my God. He said the last six attacks were on totally respectable women. Jesus. This drew 
condemnation from the English collective of prostitutes who protested outside the Old Bailey. Wait. There's like a... There's like a group, like I a guess. union, a prostitute uh-huh. union. Wow. That's pretty cool. Interesting. Nina Lopez, who was one of the ECP protesters in 1981, told The Independent 40 years later, Sir Michael's comments were an indictment of the whole way in which the police and the establishment were dealing with the Yorkshire Ripper case. Uh, yeah. 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 Seems to be the, the, the way everybody felt about it. Yeah. Unfortunately. Which That's is awful. so but. terrible. So, all right. Now we're going to talk about the Byford Report again. The Inspector of Constabulary. Oh, I a, like that word. What a word. Constabulary. Constabulary. Lawrence Byford's <laughs> 1981 report of an official inquiry into the Ripper case was not released by the Home Office until June 1st, 2006. That's a long time. That, that is a long time. The section's description of suspects, photo fits, and other assaults, and parts of the section of on Sutcliffe's immediate associates were not disclosed by the Home Office. Referring to the period between 1969, when Sutcliffe first came to the attention of police, and 1975, the year of the murder of Wilma McCann, the report states, in quotes, There's a curious and unexplained lull in Sutcliffe's criminal activities, and it is my firm conclusion that between 1969 and 1980, Sutcliffe was probably responsible for many attacks on unaccompanied women, uh, women which he has not yet admitted, not only in the West Yorkshire and Manchester areas, but also other parts of the country. I'm sure, yeah. In 1969, Sutcliffe described in the Byford Report as an otherwise unremarkable young man. Came to to the notice of police on two occasions of other incidents with uh, prostitutes. Later that year, in September 1969, he was also arrested in Bradford's Red Light District for being in possession of a hammer, an offensive weapon, but he was charged with uh, going equipped for stealing. What Who a, steals stuff with a hammer? What a weird... Uh, that's like an, a, an actual charge. He was yeah. in charge of having things that people could steal with. That's so strange. I feel like a hammer... I'm not going to go rob a bank with a hammer, you know? No, but that's like if you're going to like... I don't know, like fix a house and you have like a hammer in your truck. Oh, they yeah, could just be like it. They could just be like, you're going to steal things. Yeah. That's insane. Um, as it was assumed, he was a potential burglar. The report said that... It was clear that Sutcliffe had, a, on, on at least one occasion, attacked a Bradford prostitute with a coach. I don't know what that is. Sounds not good. Yeah, not. Uh, the Byford Report states, in quotes, We feel it is highly improbable that the crimes in respect of which Sutcliffe uh, had been charged and convicted are the only ones attributable to him. This feeling is reinforced by examining the details of a number of assaults on women in, since 1969, which in some ways clearly fall into the established platform of Sutcliffe's overall modus operandi. I hasten to add that I feel sure that the senior police officers in those areas concerned are also mindful of this possibility, but in order to assure full accountability is taken of the information available, I have arranged for an effective liaison to take place. Police identified a number of attacks which matched Sutcliffe's modus operandi and tried to question the killer, but he was never charged with other crimes. The Byford Report's major findings were contained in a summary published by the Home Secretary Will, uh, William Whitelaw. Ooh, that's a nice name. That's a very British-sounding Sounds name. Sounds like White Claw. William Whitelaw. <laughs> the first time precise details of the bundle, uh, bungled police investigation had been disclosed. Byford uh, describes delays in following up on vital tip-offs from Trevor Birdsall, 
an associate of Sutcliffe since 1966, on November 25, 1980, Birdsall sent an anonymous letter to the police, the text of which ran as follows. I have good reason to now uh, sick the man you are looking for for the, uh, for the Ripper case. This man um, deal, has dealings with prostitutes and always had a thing about them. His name and address is Peter Sutcliffe, 5 Garden Lane, Heaton, Bradford, Clark's Trans Shipley. Hmm. This letter was marked priority number one. An index card was created on the basis of the letter, and a policewoman found Sutcliffe already had three existing index cards in the records. But, for some inexplicable reason, said the Byford report, the paper remained in a filing tray in the incident room until the murder's arrest on the 2nd of January 1981, the following year. So, okay. <laughs> so we're going to blame a woman? <laughs> Is that what we're going to do? But again, it's like... Yeah, without there's no like it doesn't seem like to be any filing system. It's just things get laid on top of each other. Sure, I mean I, it happens at work many. all the time. We yeah, run very paper. We're very paper driven, right? And it's hard to make sure. You know, it could be something as simple as you two papers were stuck together mm-hmm. or something like that. Well, even it's like hindsight's twenty twenty. Sure, it's like I'm sure they got thousands of these things that are like I know who the guy is, right? So I mean, and to follow every single one, yeah. would be impossible. But right. you have to. But the fact that nine times, I mean, but now we're going to blame it on a woman police officer. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. Come yeah. on. <laughs> Bird, Birdsall visited Bradford Police Station the day after sending the letter to repeat his misgivings about Sutcliffe. So he went into the police station. Okay. I'm sure a lot of people didn't do that part. Right. So. And I'm sure it was a woman who talked to him. Let's yeah. just, let's keep going. <laughs> he added that he was with Sutcliffe when he got out of a car to pursue a woman with whom he had a bar room dispute in Halifax on August 16th, 1975. This was the date and place of the Olive Smelt case. A report compiled on the visit was lost despite a comprehensive search, which took place after Sutcliffe's arrest, according to the report. Byford said the failure to take advantage of Bursall's anonymous letter and his visit to the police station was yet again a stark illustration of the progressive decline in the overall efficiency of the major incident room. And it resulted in Sutcliffe being at liberty for more than one month when the might when he might conceivably have been in custody. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, there is no reason to think he committed any further murderous assaults within that period. Okay. It's still their fault. If you write a letter, okay, you lost the letter. Then you go into the police. Where'd you where'd you put that at? All right. Probably. He went there. Yeah. You can't lose that in an evidence room. No. But there's probably so many so much going on. It's probably just like chaos twenty four seven. I'm just pissed. It is wild. But if they had computers, I bet they would have been it. There'd been like a proper filing system. Well, you could you, search things, like it's well, now, I mean, the first victim, he would have had fibers or, or you know, right, some yeah. sort of forensic and stuff. And there cameras, probably, yes. Yeah, and everything would have been in a database, but it's just, it was it was a shitty time, mm-hmm. shitty people, and shitty Peter. <laughs> that's all. Yeah, that's and, fair. And uh, women are just as important as men, 
And don't blame shit on them just because things happen to them, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Because men are dumb sometimes. True. That's a fact. But I'm not going to make a blanket statement saying all men are dumb. Mm, good save. Like the police said that all women are prostitutes, apparently. Good save. Good save. Yeah. <laughs> so our sources for this was wiki.com, execulink.com, and biography.com. Execulink.com had a lot of, like, you know, we always find one website that has just, like, loads of information on it and that was one that had so much like all of the all of the um the envelopes with the the letter that was not really him and all kinds of stuff so it was very it's a wormhole type situation if you're looking a wormhole it sounded like you said a wormhole so that's a wormhole ew that's disgusting how dare you say that about prostitutes You're perverted. Oh, my God. No, a wormhole. Better. Yeah. Say that one slow. So if you want to (laughs) dig down into something crazy, you can go there. Yeah. So we would be interested to know how you feel about the Yorkshire Ripper. Mm -hmm. You think it was the police's fault? Yeah. Because, I mean, he they didn't make him commit the murders, but they made it easy for him to do it, It I feel. It could have been solved a lot sooner. Yeah. It seems. And I feel like the amount of, like... Of what's the word? Whenever you condemn a whole species of people, like women, mm-hmm. like just don't go out. Like that was their solution. Like, yeah. oh well, just don't go out at night. Just live your life in fear constantly. Have a great day. That's not how things. Well, it's kind of like COVID. It's kind of the same shit. Yeah, but it's like least, we don't know what's happening, so just don't go anywhere. At least that's across the board, though, for yeah, everybody, that's, that's not and not just out of, yeah, prosecuting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not singling out a certain group right because they don't want to right do the due diligence right so definitely this, interesting this case pissed me off yeah i'm curious to know what your point of view is so mm-hmm. let us know yeah. on uh discord yeah discord 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 <laughs> discord okay <laughs> all right well we hope you all have a great week and we'll see you next time Bye. Bye.